Hey, what's up, guys? And welcome to the Strength Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kurkowski. Thank you so much for joining me today. So Brooks Kubek is the true legend in the strength game. I was so honored to host him in this next episode. Brooks is the author of the world-renowned best-selling book, Dinosaur Training, Lost Secrets of Strength and Development. So Dinosaur Training, it was first published in 1996, and since then, it's continued to be one of the go-to resources in the world for old-time strength training. And in this episode, I got a chance to hear all about Brooks's origin story into strength, being a champion wrestler, eventually getting into being a drug-free powerlifting champion, all the way through his international success with the Dinosaur Training brand. So I had an incredible time talking with Brooks. I know you'll get some serious insights here. This guy is brilliant. So I appreciate you spending some time with me here. If you enjoy this episode, hope you can take a moment and give it a review wherever you're listening to this. And please share it with a friend. Help spread that message of strength for me. All right, thank you very much, guys. And now let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. You never know what's going to happen on a podcast. Um, Brooks, it's so nice to meet you, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much for jumping on. It's my pleasure, Michael. Yeah, I've. Uh, it's interesting. Sorry. Yeah, no, me, no, me too. Uh, <laughs> we'll get our timing down on. No, since we set this up, I've uh, talked to quite a few people that I've worked with asking if they knew your work and everybody knows dinosaur training. It's like, so I feel like I was like the lost kid out of, out of this cool group of, of people that know. So I got a chance to look at a lot of the resources that you've done with this work, um, all the content that you've done for a long time with dinosaur training. So, and this is one of those topics of a lot of the old time training, kind of like the lost secrets of things that have been around for a while, but seems like they got lost for a bit. And you're one of those great guys that have really brought this back into the realm of the world that we're in now. So um, first, awesome stuff on all the content. I'm really excited to just dive into a few different fun topics with you. Sure. Sounds good. Fire away. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, to get started, I always like to learn a little bit more about you first, Um, you know, kind of your origin story of how you got into the world of strength training, because I know you were in law for a long time, which is your profession for uh, quite a while. Um, but kind of in your strength training journey, were you always into like the style of more old time strongman based work? Or did you start kind of in a, a little different modality? How'd you get into this world of strength? Um, I started out uh, training when I was nine years old. And the reason that I started training, I had very severe, high, um, very severe uh, childhood asthma. And so bad that, you know, I couldn't play games with the other kids. I, I couldn't run. I, I, you know, couldn't do anything. I'd, I'd be sitting there hacking and coughing and unable to breathe, gasping for breath in the middle of the night. My parents took me to a bunch of different doctors and none of the doctors could do anything. And basically the last one that they went to um, said something to the effect of, your son is always going to be weak and feeble. He's not going to be able to play sports. He's not going to be able to play games with the other children. You should help him find hobbies that are appropriate for him, such as, for example, uh, stamp collecting. Oh. And, seriously. <laughs> and, you know, I'm nine years old, and I'm being told, stay inside and collect stamps. And it's like, you oh know, no, I want, you know, I want to go outside. I want to play baseball. I want, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Um, I was a voracious reader and I liked to read biographies. And there was a, a great series of biographies of famous people when they were young that I would read. And one of, one of them just randomly, I read about uh, President Theodore Roosevelt 
Teddy Roosevelt, the Rough Rider. And I learned that he too had childhood asthma and he overcame it and became, you know, a very robust athletic outdoorsman. Mm -hmm. um, he overcame it with, with exercise. His father actually built a little gymnasium in their house and the kids would train in the gym, particularly Teddy. And that helped him through the asthma and he eventually became, you know, quite athletic. And I thought, well, if it worked for Teddy Roosevelt, you know, maybe it will work for me. There you go. Yeah, it's a good example. <laughs> and so the only, the only um, exercise that I could think of doing, because remember, I wasn't supposed to exercise. Mm -hmm. okay. So this had to be something that I could do on my own and my parents wouldn't know, was to go to school in the morning and say, bye, mom walk down the driveway, turn around the great big hedge between our yard and the neighbor's yard, which meant I was out of sight. And then I would try to run to school. Mm. Okay, half a mile. It, it, I made about a block and then I was like gasping and dying, mm -hmm. but I somehow kept going. It was probably more of a crawl than anything else, but I, right. I I remember the first time I did it, I was so tired. I, I literally crawled under some bushes and hid for like 20 or 30 minutes because of my heart was beating and, you know, I was breathing so fast and, yeah. you know, all that. So I, I did that every day for, I'm not sure how long, but at some point um, it all started to work and it became much easier. And eventually I was able to, you know, run the whole distance mm -hmm. and it went away. You know, so now I'm able to play games and play sports, go to junior high school. And in junior high school, um, one day in gym class, uh, the gym teacher who had been a wrestler as his sport of choice as a young man and had been a former wrestling coach before he became a gym coach, there was a wrestling man. And uh, you know, I, I was like, wow, this looks great. Got on and started rolling around with one of the other kids. And the gym teacher came over and he said, hey, let me show you some moves. So he used me, he taught me some moves. And then he used me to demonstrate what he was going to show to the gym class. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, the very most very basic beginning. Yep. So that was my introduction to that. Um, and I just fell in love with the sport of wrestling. Mm. Um, my goal was to go to high school and play football, uh, which my dad wanted me to do and wrestle with, which was what I really wanted to do. Okay. And I realized that I would need to be, um, you know, strong to do that, that, that strength and power were advantages in those sports, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and for football, I, I needed to gain weight because I started seventh grade at 83 pounds. I got up to about 101 pounds by wrestling season in seventh grade. <laughs> um, and the next year, I think I weighed 115 or 120. I started uh, high school at 132 pounds, 132, 134 pounds. But um, I got into weight training, strength training, you know, basic training with a barbell, 110 pound barbell set um, in my bedroom. To that, I eventually added a weight bench, uh, one of those hang in the door, in the door frame chinning bars. Mm -hmm. You know, I had uh, a sandbag that I had made from my dad's uh, duffel bag when he was in the Navy. 
I'd, I'd read about how old time strongmen, old time wrestlers would, would do things with, with sandbags and bags of grain. And, things mm-hmm. like that. and you know, so it's like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I had spring steel chest expanders, um, a killer karate crusher sold by Joe Weeder. It was the thing where you, you put your hand in these, these um, little straps, each strap connected to a spring attached to a frame, then you close your hand. And develop oh, really? Oh, wow. Oh, it's great. Look it up. The killer karate. Oh, well, <laughs> just, the, just the name in itself will sell a million right there. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, it was, it was wonderful. It was like we all, we all had them back then. So my introduction to training was I wanted to get bigger and stronger to play high school sports. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so then um, the high school, uh, high school wrestling coaches uh, were alerted to me by my junior high school gym coach. They mm-hmm. said, well, this kid is, you know, a really good wrestler. I, I won the city, the, the school championship in junior high and then the mm-hmm. city championship. And my wrestling coach said, you really watch out for this kid. He's something special. So the high school coaches said, would you like to come work out in the high school gym? So boom, I'm in the high school gym. And I mean, it was like a magical place for me. They had York Olympic barbells and weight benches and mm-hmm. the machine, the power rack, you know, everything. I later learned that uh, that high school, Rich East High School in Park Forest, Illinois, was perhaps the first high school in the state of Illinois to have a formal training program, strength training program, weight training program for the wrestlers and football players. Oh, wow. Yeah, which I, I, I only found that out about five years ago, but the coaches actually did like a, a, a continuing coaching education type program, some kind mm-hmm. of you know, CEU thing. They got in a truck and they drove to York, Pennsylvania, where the York Barbell Company yep. was. And they, you know, they, they had a crash course in, in weightlifting from the people at York, mm-hmm. weightlifting, weight training. And they came back with, you know, like 10,000 pounds of weights and stuff. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, and, and that was like the mid sixties. That was unheard of. Wow. Yeah. And also, interestingly enough, at that point in time, the Richie's football team, um, you know, undefeated, um, you know, would win by blowout scores, yeah. 50, 60 points. Um, we had, um, two guys in the sixties, won um, state championships in wrestling. We had other guys who placed in the top three, four, five in state, uh, really, really good dominant wrestling program, dominant football program. And it all really took off right around the time that they had that weight room, mm-hmm. which was, um, when it started, it was just in one of the empty classrooms. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) It was so cool. So, so I ended up training there. Um, I guess I started in graduated in 75. So I started high school. What would that be? 70, 71, 70, 71 school year, something like that. But I'd I'd been training there since I was in eighth grade because they let me train even when I was in junior high. Mm -hmm. So, that was my background was training for, for sports. And mm-hmm. I played one year of football and then I, and, and wrestled. And then I, I dropped the football and I just concentrated on wrestling. That was my, my sport, my big thing. 
Was was it you were naturally just really good at wrestling right off the bat? Or was it just more of like you just enjoyed it a lot more? Was it kind of more of a combination of both? It was a combination of both. Uh, I just, I really, really liked it. Uh, You know, I've got these glasses. I mean, I mean, perhaps can see on screen that these are really thick, like bottle <laughs> glasses. Okay. I, I mean, I've had extremely poor vision my whole life. Mm-hmm. And in any sport that involves a ball, throwing it, hitting it, catching it, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. I'm at a severe disadvantage. Mm. I, I really, really am. Um, and even in football, I, I uh, played offensive guard <laughs> at 130 pounds. Played offensive guard <laughs> for um, for one season, and you know it became obvious to me. I, I mean, you know, I was I was a starter. I was a good player mm-hmm. on a really really poor football team. That's yeah. We were the worst team. <laughs> for some reason, all of our older brothers were big strong kids, and my class had all these little brothers here, yeah all guys i mean it was like it was nuts we, we were just miniature compared to everyone else mm-hmm. we lost all but one of our football games we tied that one we lost most games by scores of like 30 or 40 to nothing yeah. and, and you know so it was like okay so why do i want to keep doing that and go through you know the next three years playing football on a, a really really bad team Right. Yeah. Whereas I can do the wrestling thing and control my own destiny. So, you know, part of it was because of my eyesight, football, even being a lineman, was not the best of sports for me. Um, other sports that involve eyesight really weren't, but wrestling, you can literally wrestle blind. Yeah. You know, you know, in fact, we would do drills where the coach would blindfold one wrestler. And you'd wrestle mm-hmm. against an opponent who was not blindfolded. And the reason was they didn't want you to do like, look, grab. They wanted you to just grab. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and so a lot of guys are like, you know, where's where's his leg? Where's whatever? You know, they're looking around. And of course, that slows you down enormously. So our coaches were all about, you know, just learn to work by feel, to know where your right. body is, to know where the other guy's body is. You don't need to look, you just bang, react. So, um, you know, there was that, um, uh, you know, I, I, I must have had some degree of natural aptitude. I trained all the time. I mean, wrestling was just my life. I was yeah. on the mat like every day in high school for hours. Um, and when I wasn't on the mat, uh, I was working out. So, right. you know, I was really strong, um, you know, Stayed very close to my wrestling weight all year round, watched my diet all the time. Yeah, I was just really focused on this. And so my focus was training for athletic performance mm-hmm. from, from day one. Um, you know, it was, it, was, it was good to build some muscles. Um, you know, at that age, um, you know, we all had this mentality of, you know, we want to attract girls. Girls like guys with big muscles, yeah. so big muscles, more girls. Mm-hmm. Didn't really work that way, but, you know, that was. Yeah, it's pretty single-minded at that age. <laughs> Why you get into the weight? 16 years old, you know, somebody, 
you know, puts that ad in a weightlifting magazine, a bodybuilding magazine or a muscle magazine that shows, you know, some bodybuilding champion on the beach surrounded by a bunch of girls in bikinis. You're like, oh yeah, you know, that's, that's what I want because yeah. you're 15, you know? Yeah. Dumb. You know, it's, it's funny. The, the sport of wrestling is so fascinating to me because I didn't appreciate it as much growing up. I actually came from an um, unbelievable wrestling high school, um, Niskewna, mm-hmm. New York. That's where Jeff Blatnick, who was the Olympic gold medalist, he was yeah. from our area and uh, Joe Benna, you know, very long standing, uh, very well-known wrestling coach. And, but growing up, I was, you know, we knew more of sports when we were growing up from the professional sports, you know, we had baseball, we had basketball, football, and, but I remember the strongest kid pound for pound I ever knew it was this kid, Brendan. He was my friend. He, I think he wrestled in the, I think he wrestled 112 in high school, but he was putting up over a double body weight bench press, you know, in the, you know, in the weight room when we had, we had the old school weight room in there. I remember he had two and a quarter on the sides and he was under that 112. He gained weight for wrestling season. You know, you don't hear that season as much, but it's, it's one of those sports that I, I didn't recognize early on is how impactful your strength pound for pound is such a big thing. Cause in football, right. You, you could be the strongest 130 pound, you know, offensive guard in the world. But if the guy across from you is 250, it's probably, it's probably going to be a little bit of a disadvantage. So it's one of those sports that I think uh, a lot more people, I hope to, you know, I hope as they're going through and they have kids going through, put them into that because I think for general strength training, really like the proprioception of the body, it's one of the best things that you can really do on a sports front. It, it, it really is. And it's also, interestingly, it's one of the very few sports, along with gymnastics, obviously, that um, actually builds strength. Mm. You know, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, require strength to various degrees, but they don't build it. Sprinting. Yes, that's very true. Yeah. Some of the other events in track and field build some degree of strength, but not nearly as much as gymnastics or wrestling. And, you know, gymnasts and wrestlers pound for pound are just ferocious human beings. Just absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting point. Yeah. Most other sports, it's taking strength away to do the skill. So kind of strength is there to aggressively maintain, especially during season where in those sports, especially in gymnastics, like you said, that's another one that it's building strength as you're practicing through there. That's a really interesting point. I never thought about that. Yeah. So, so that was my background through high school. Um, I, um, I had a very severe shoulder injury, um, about two thirds of the way through my senior year of high school. And um, that kept me, um, I had some scholarship opportunities um, for uh, wrestling scholarships. I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't able to accept them because I just didn't think my shoulder would, would hold up to collegiate wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's bothered me off and on ever since, but in any event, um, I, I stopped wrestling and, and, you know, so now it's like, what do you do for your life? Well, I, you know, I, I became a student and I got good grades and I ended up going to law school and, and all of that. That's how the law school track happened. Mm. Um, I also kept working out. Okay. And, you know, I, I always was working out. It was like, you know, you're never going to stop working out. Um, I primarily focused on strength training and building strength. 
in my late 20s, early 30s, we started to see um, something new at that time, which was drug-free slash drug-tested powerlifting contests. Okay. Drugs had taken over all strength sports to mm-hmm. an unimaginable degree. Just like people have absolutely no idea how common they were, how prevalent mm-hmm. they were by, you know, at some point in the seventies and into the eighties. I mean, it was just like insanity unleashed. on mm-hmm. the drug. Um, I never used any kind of drugs, any kind of performance enhancing drugs, steroids, growth hormone, you know, whatever is never touched the stuff. Mm-hmm. Didn't believe in it. And when I saw something called drug-free powerlifting, I thought, well, that, that sounds like a good thing. I should support mm. it. And then I thought, well, the best way to support it is to, you know, pay an entry fee and go to a meet mm-hmm. and compete in the meet. So I did that. And the first meet I competed in was a bench press only uh, competition. Mm-hmm. One of a, a, a um, regional championship in the bench press. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, you know, this is fun. So I got very heavily into that for a couple of years. Um, I, I coached at meets. I judged at meets. I helped set the meets up. You know, I, I was an announcer at meets. I did a lot of things if I wasn't lifting to help meets in, you know, different places around, um, around Louisville, where we live. Mm-hmm. I also lifted a lot. Um, I lived in two different organizations. Uh, they had, of course, you know, it's by body weight, you know, so you're in a weight class. And they also had age groups. And so in the, um, in my age group, which was the submasters division, age 30, 30 to 34, 31 to 35, depending on which organization you were in. Um, I competed in that age group category of 198 pounds. And then I grew into the 220 pound class. Um, so I competed at 198 and 220, uh, usually in the submaster uh, competition. And I won, or the submaster's classification. I won a bunch of state championships, regional championships, um, five national championships in the bench press, set a number of um, American meet records, uh, national records, and, and even in one organization, some world records in the bench press, which was my best lift by far. Okay. Um, and so that was very successful. Uh, after a couple of years of that, though, I wanted to pursue other things. I, there, there were things that I wanted to do training-wise that didn't directly relate to powerlifting. And, mm. I, you know, I, I accomplished enough in powerlifting. It was like, you know, I just want to try other things. And I was going to ask, was it kind of like just the mindset? Like, was it just, all right, I've done this enough. I just want to explore more of what's out there to, to kind of train. It was, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good way of saying it. It was like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I could continue doing this and going on for a long, long, long time, but I'd be doing the same thing and same training. And I want to explore other things, you know, and, the other things that I, I began to explore were, for example, thick bar training, training mm. thick handled bars, um, training with sandbags, training with heavy, awkward objects, uh, doing something that almost no one did back then, 
the farmer's walk with heavy weights. Mm-hmm. You know, different ways of carrying and moving heavy weights. Um, exercises and lifts that were not part of the regular powerlifting comp, um, you know, competition, the squat, deadlift, and um, bench press, you know, mm-hmm. other things. So, you know, so I started doing a lot of different things. And that developed into what I eventually came to call dinosaur training, which became something, you know, different and unique and unusual and worth writing about. So I said, well, you've got plenty of spare time. You know, you work a law job at a major law firm and you're, you know, you only work seven days a week, (laughs) eight to 10 hours a day. So why don't you write a book in your spare time? (laughs) Why not? Yeah. Yeah, why not? So um, I did that. And a year later, I ended up with uh, 450 manuscript pages. Mm-hmm. Typed. You know, this is before, before the internet. This is the 1990s. Okay? It's before the internet. It's before memory typewriters are common. You know, it's like I've got you know, yay, yay many typewritten pages. Yeah. So I had this book and um, you know, then I had to figure out you know, what do you do? What do you do to publish it? And the answer is you dip into your life savings and you pull most of it out and you pay to have 3000 copies of the book published. Mm-hmm. You put an ad in a little magazine. Um, I ran my first ad in something called the iron master published by a man named Osmo Kia, great little publication that now is, is out of, out of print, out of publication. Um, and I did not tell my then wife what I was doing because I knew what her view on the subject would be. Right. Um, but, uh, I I remember it was back before email, right? So Mm -hmm. people responded to the advertisement with actual letters, those things in envelopes. Okay. With checks. And I got like, you know, I went to the mailbox and I got, you know, 30, 40, 50 envelopes with money in them. And it's like, holy mackerel, if this keeps up, I'm actually going to be able to pay for the cost of printing these things. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, That's got to be pretty surreal just every day. And you're just going in and all of a sudden there's just checks in there. That's got to be, it's like, holy shit, this is actually really happening. It was, it was, it was really wild. It was, it was, it was just absolutely crazy. Um, I didn't have room for the 3,000 books Mm -hmm. at my house and they had to be delivered to a loading dock. So I had them delivered to the loading dock Mm -hmm. at the business, the business building that our law firm was at. And then I put them on a dolly and I took them up the freight elevator and I I just piled them up in one corner of my law office, you know, and Mm -hmm. I I worked in the office. I, I met with clients in a conference room. So, you know, it really didn't matter what the office looked like. I mean, most lawyers' offices are just, you know, cluttered with right. stuff everywhere. Um, so I just had literally a wall full of boxes of books, as I said, 3,000 of them. Um, the first 3,000, I made a, an offer or a, a, a promise, a commitment in the first advertisement. I said, I will personally, I will number and autograph each book in the first printing of 3,000 books. And I'll number it and I'll sign it for you. Okay, a little bonus. Well, it sounded like a good idea. 
but you know, pen in hand, <laughs> you know, all day long. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> book number one Oh seven. Dear John, thank you for buying this book. Yeah. Train uh, hard. Great success. Brooks Cubic. Mm-hmm. Book number 108. Dear Michael. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I, and that's why, you know, there, there were actually like 3,300 um, books. Printers either go 10% over or 10% right. under. Well, they went 10% over. So I had like 33, 3308, I think, or something like that in the first printing. Mm-hmm. I hand signed every single one of them. There are still people out there. All these years later, that was 1996, but all these years later, people will, will say, you know, I'm dinosaur number 47, meaning I, I have. That's no- so, that's so awesome. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, you built a community without thinking you've even built a community of there, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the, um, I guess to your point, um, the reason that, Dinosaur training takes a deep dive back into the roots of old-time strength training and what old-timers did Mm -hmm. was because it was a book that opposed the use of anabolic steroids and other PEDs. And at Mm -hmm. that point in time, in 1996, everybody thought the only way to get big and strong was to take steroids. And I said, no, that's not the case. If you know how to train, if you do the right kind of things in your training, you don't need drugs. And the proof is, look at the strength, look at the development of old timers who long, long, long before steroids were available. They weren't using drugs, but look, they're just, their physiques were incredible and their strength was incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, what did they do? Let's look at things that they did. Well, you know, one thing was they used thick handled bars. One thing was they trained with what I call heavy, awkward objects, you know, unusual things, barrels. Mm. Uh, kegs, sandbags. Reason being, a lot of them were working men. A lot of them had jobs where they were their manual labor jobs. You know, they they people shipped things in barrels, heavy wooden boxes. You know, you know, life was all about moving and lifting and heaving big things. Mm-hmm. So they were used to doing that. And in their stage shows, it was often more impressive to lift, for example a 200 or 250 or 300 pound barrel or sandbag that everyone in the audience, every man in the audience could identify with. Like, you know, yeah, if you can lift that over your head, you're pretty strong. I couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, and the reason they use the thick bars was because invariably if a strong man did, um, did a strong man show, a vaudeville show, he's on stage mm-hmm. okay. or he's in the circus, he's in the center of the ring. Someone in the audience will say, Hey, we got a guy who can do that. He's stronger than your strong man. Yeah. And the strong man would have to say, oh, yeah, send him up. And then this big guy would stand up and he'd go forward. And, you know, he'd probably be some naturally strong. Yeah. Monster. Just ox. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Big ox. Okay. But more than likely, he had never seen a weight in his entire life. And by weight, I mean a, a a barbell or a dumbbell. Mm-hmm. Okay. Might have, might have lifted heavy stuff at work, but he never trained with a barbell, a dumbbell or a kettlebell. So he didn't know how to balance it. He didn't exactly know what to do. He didn't know how to use his legs and back to yeah. lift, mm-hmm. to do it with just his arms, things like that. So that was an advantage to the, uh, 
to the strongman, the professional strongman. But the other thing the professional strongman did was have a special challenge barbell or dumbbell, sometimes kettlebell, but usually barbell or dumbbell that had a thick handle. And by thick handle, something that's um, two inches, two and a half, maybe three mm -hmm. inches in diameter. So it's really, really hard to hold on to. And there's no way, you know, unless you're, you know, six foot, four, five, six with gigantic big hands. Yeah. And your fingers can wrap all the way around that thing. And back, you know, back in the 1900s, how many early 1900s, how many men were that big? Yeah, really. It's yeah, it was, buck 10, buck 20. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you have a bar like that and you train yourself to develop the gripping strength to be able to lift it. Mm. So the big guy, the big ox comes forward. He says, you know, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big, I'm strong, I'm ox. And the strong man says, okay, lift that. And the big guy drops down and can't budget. Mm -hmm. And he tries and tries, you know, and all his friends are laughing at him. And, and then the strong man says, let me show you how to do it. And he reaches down, boom. Okay. And he looks like he's 10 times stronger than their strongest guy. Right. And he's not. He's much stronger at lifting that particular thick handled weight because he's number one, he's really strong and he's got a strong grip, but number two, he's practiced it. And, and they would, they would run that trick all the time. No one ever, no one ever figured it out. So that was the origin of the thick handled barbell or the thick handled dumbbell. Ah, okay. Yeah. And you say, okay, what things happen to your body when you train that way? Well, you develop an incredibly strong grip. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is a strong grip by itself the end of things or does it have a carryover value? Mm. Well, a whole lot of your nervous system ties into your hands. Yes. Okay. So perhaps if you develop really incredibly strong hands, you are doing things to your nervous system that have a carry-on effect throughout your entire body that we don't know about. We've never researched. No one has ever researched this and they never will because where are you going to find, you know, a research study of a hundred men with incredibly strong hands? Right. Super strong. And I'm talking about like really, really incredibly awful strong hands. You just, you know, you, you, you don't have a group to test. And now that I mentioned it, maybe some scientist is going to, going to come out with the idea. Mm -hmm. um, you do, by the way, you know, they have done research that says that um, one physical factor, physical attribute that is associated with longevity and with healthy aging, with being active your entire life and being able to take care of yourself is hand strength. Yeah. Okay. So is it really the hand strength alone? You know, probably not unless it's a, a survival skill to be able to open a, a pickle jar or a peanut butter jar, but maybe that ties into hand strength being a proxy for strength throughout the entire body and or maybe it ties into hand strength being a proxy for a heightened degree of nervous connectivity, strong nerve connections throughout the entire body, mm. right? Now, has anyone ever tested that? I, I'm not aware that they have, but to me, that's where research should go. Yeah, it's, uh, 
there's a couple guys that I know, um, Adam Glass and Frankie Ferris. I don't know if you know Adam. Adam is it's the strongest hands that I've ever seen in my life doing, you know, and he's does work with plate curls with front levers on pinch grips and stuff. And he's been known for a while of the, you know, they do the, the arm lifting competitions down in Texas where he's from with all the grip work, but him and Frankie, they've put together the biofeedback solution, which is really was one of my introductions into understanding intuitive training. And they're saying very similar stuff, as you mentioned, Brooks, of the hand strength and where that is really your guide to readiness, you know, where you can tell if you're feeling really strong or if you're a little weaker on the day based on that grip strength, you know, based on that hand. So it is, I think the, obviously I believe, yes, there's a carryover. There's that irradiation that comes from that grip strength. Mm -hmm. But as you mentioned, I think it's that connection of the nervous system that we have kind of these sensors here Mm -hmm. that we don't talk about a lot in strength training. And it seems like that's one of those, those missed messages, those lost secrets, as you know, we can say of just kind of pop culture fitness where it's all about aesthetics and yeah, like lifting weight and, you know, lifting more weight on the bar is great, but actually getting that nervousness sensation of knowing when you're feeling really strong and when you're Mm -hmm. not, that's almost a different type of of self-awareness that you build from doing some of these old time strongman exercises. I think that might be a reason why I think maybe a lot of people like yourself you go down this rabbit hole so much when you start getting into this world because of these things that you feel not just in your physical strength, but kind of the mental side and, and the nervous system as well. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing, um, so dinosaur training came out in 1996. Uh, I was 39 years old and I thought it was just going to be a hobby. And all of a sudden it became uh, you know, a, a world, literally a worldwide phenomenon, mm-hmm. very big thing. And, you know, as you said, most people, I won't say everybody, but everybody's heard of it, but, you know, most people in the strength game are aware of it. Many have read it. Okay. So that was this huge, big deal. And here I am working a full-time job as a lawyer. And, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, publish something else. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, you know, you know, continue the strength training thing. So essentially I, I had a life for a number of years where I essentially had two full-time jobs. One was the law job. Mm -hmm. One was the dinosaur business, you know, and I'm still training on, you know, on top of that, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so that was a really interesting thing. So eventually um, the dinosaur business reached the point where I retired early from the practice of law and focused exclusively on the dinosaur business. And I, I still do that. So now I'm 65. Okay. So it's 25 years later, 26 years past um, the publication of dinosaur training. It's Age 65, started training at age nine, started strength training, weight training at age 11. Okay. So 54 years of strength training and and really serious stuff all the way forward, right? So now at 65, you look around and you don't look like most other people your age. 
You don't walk like most other people your age. You don't act like most other people your age. Everything's different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're sitting there thinking, you know, other, you know, everyone's like, you know, well, it's genetics, you know, healthy aging is all about genetics. It's like, well, you know, maybe aging has something to do with it too. You know, maybe, maybe a lifetime of doing this stuff, like, you know, focusing on the grip and focusing on functional strength, you know, the core strength. I hate the term core, but yeah, you know, mid-function strength, middle of the body strength, whatever you want to call it, you know, training your back, training your hips, um, you know, challenging your body, doing things where you take something and you go as far as you can with it in doing one thing, one direction, and you hit the point where it's like, okay, I've probably got as much out of that as I can get out of that. So what I'm going to do now, even though that's really good, I'm going to try something different. Okay, I'm going to try something that's going to challenge me in new and different ways. I'm going to learn new skills, you know, and, I'm, and, and you know, then after a while you say, okay, I've, that's been good, but now I'm going to do this. Okay, and that, that's what I tended to do starting in my 40s, really. Um, I started to really explore mm -hmm. different ways of doing things. We were talking, uh, you know, briefly before um, the start of the show about, uh, you know, moving into bodyweight training, mm -hmm. um, you know, which I did because I want, you know, it's like, okay, I probably am not going to be able to add a whole lot more weight to my basic powerlifting exercises or some of the other things I've been doing. What can I do to challenge myself in a different way? And that's when yes. I went, you know, what became NSR bodyweight training. And, you know, I've continued doing that, working back and forth through different things, different training methods, in part because I, I test them. I use myself as a guinea pig. Mm -hmm. I like to experiment with them. But in part because, you know, I, I have a saying, it's all good and it all works. Okay. And, right. <laughs> and there's a related, you know, related point, which is life's too short to be bored. Right. Life is too short to be boring. You know, so, so do, you know, do things that, you know, keep everything new and fresh. It's good for your body. It's good for your mind. Um, you know, so that's what I've been doing. And you end up, as I said, you know, you end up in your 60s having done that for a long time and continuing to do it. And you're like, man, this stuff really is working. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's amazing. You know, it's, it's so it's, funny that you, as you mentioned, the um, just the commitment to building new skills, kind of like the experimentation. And there's a great mm -hmm. article that uh, I read of yours, which was like kind of the sane experimentation versus like insanity training, which I want to dive into, but it's kind of, it's interesting, Brooks, there's like the juxtaposition of learning new skills, but also doing the things that have been around a long time that we know works, which is kind of like that definition of old time strongman training, which is kind of like, if we can put a definition down to, it. I mean, there's these things that have been around for a long time. But I almost seem like probably, you know, with with our listenership here, we're probably preaching to the choir about understanding these techniques, people more, more focus on mastery who's listening to the show, but kind of in general, it's 
Do you think that almost some people look the other way to some of these old time things because we live such in this world of innovation? Everything's new all the time, like the newest technology and stuff. Everything's always like getting like there's the newest, the brightest, the shiniest object out there where it's like, well, these things, which, you know, I remember there's a book that I read. Um, I think it's by Earl Lederman, the secrets of strength, which I p- believe was published in 1925. Mm-hmm. And it's still a great book for strength training. And that was almost a hundred years ago now. Right. But do you think that's almost some people like, su- like shy away from this or don't give this the attention that it deserves because of just like the innovation that's around all over the place in every other area of life? I, I, I think a number of things are in, are in play there. I think mm-hmm. that as the world becomes more complex and more technological, there's a greater need to get back to our physical roots. Mm-hmm. You know, people talk about ancestral training, primal training, mm-hmm. You know, nature training, all these things. And I, I, I think one thing that is in play is that technology is so advanced and, there, you know, it's everything new and shiny. You know, we've all got one of these things, yeah. right? And, and they, you know, they come out with a new one every six months and they update them every 48 hours or whatever, you know, it's... I can't figure out how to use this thing, you know. Right. I, I mean, you know, they updated it two days ago. I'm still trying. It's like, okay, what have you done? Um, I, I just bought a a new Mac the other day, well, ten days ago, and I'm still sitting there like, okay, what you know, what do I do? Right. Okay, that's frustrating, and it's it's bad for the psyche. It's bad for the soul, and when you train. Do you really want more of that high tech stuff? You know, do you want right. the, the the training program where you stand in front of a big screen and there's a ghost in the big screen, the ghost in the mirror telling you what to do and mm-hmm. you do what the ghost in the mirror says? Is that really what you want? Or do you want to pick up some iron and do something that you are telling yourself to do? And you're right. the one in charge of you know, slow down, speed up, go faster, go slower, full range, pause, isometric, do another rep, mm-hmm. long isometric. You know, it's like, and you're the one who's talking yourself through it, coaching yourself through it. Do you want that or do you want the ghost in the machine? And I would say right. you want the, you, you want to be you. You want to come from inside. You want it simple. You want it basic. And what what happens with a lot of, um, a lot of older trainees, I, I don't know exactly why this is the case, but it's true It's true for me. It's true for many, many, many guys that I know, 50 and up, 55 up, 60 and up. They like to strip their training to the bare essentials. Yeah. Just, just get to the basics. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I wrote an article once, Barbell Basement Lifter. And that summarizes it. And, you know, if you don't use a barbell, use you know, it's dumbbells basement lifter or kettlebells basement lifter. Right. You know, or whatever backyard lifter. The point is, you know, it's stripped to the basics, stripped to the essentials. Um, and, and a lot of guys, 
just find that that is the, the most fun, the most enjoyable, the most fulfilling way to train. And, and, and I think as the world grows more complex, people are saying, I want the sheer simplicity of going back to basics. Yeah, it's, it's, that's a beautiful sentiment. You know, I've, I've seen it so much, especially since the lockdown a couple of years ago. And all we had from our studio was somebody had one kettlebell. And we kind of mm-hmm. asked our question when we were a team of like, all right, if someone only has one kettlebell at home, uh-huh. what can we do? And I remember I had this conversation with Dan John on the podcast, and I mm-hmm. asked him about the definition of minimalism. It's a term used out there a lot but kind of like many things often misconstrued and kind of thrown in a lot of different directions. And he said, yeah, you kind of have to put a constraint down. He said, if you just threw somebody who had some knowledge on an Island with a 28 kilogram kettlebell and told them that's all you can use for three years on this Island, they'd probably come up with all the different stuff that we would need for years and years to develop strength Mm -hmm. just because you stripped it down to, all right, if this is all I have, that's there. But kind of the point you brought up, Brooks, too, of like, you know, just getting new technology and it's been 10 days and you're so frustrated because we don't see it working. So imagine if we do that with our strength training, like if you do a lift and you don't see all the progress that you want to make in 10, you know, in 10 days, it's kind of like almost the, the day that we're in, especially with all that innovation is it's like, we're supposed to get this stuff. We're supposed to know the new operating system so quick. When in the physical body, like that's just not how it works. Like if you want to develop strength and really build mastery, you're going to be doing it over and over again. So falling, I think, as you said, kind of the older generation, the 50 and older can understand, I think a little bit easier of what mastery is of like stripping it down to the essentials and focusing on the skill of it, not just the external reward or the, you know, the result that you're trying to get. If, if, if you grew up playing sports, one of, one of the great things about playing sports, organized sports, is that you repeat a particular skill over and over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Practice it over and over and over. And the better coach you have, the, the more you practice the basic skills in, in any sport. And so then you come to a mindset, you know, you know that being able to perform the fundamental skills of your chosen sport at a level where you have a high degree of mastery, you know, that's the name of the game. You know, then, then you build in strength and conditioning um, and, and, you know, mental determination and confidence and you have a championship athlete, but it all starts with, with learning the skill, developing the skill and you always keep practicing the basic skills. You, you never outgrow them. Yeah. If, if you're a, a true athlete, you know, a, a, a yeah. true master. Yeah. So it, it's the same with strength training. You, you, can't, you can't learn how to do a bent press, for example, B-E-N-T, not bench, but mm-hmm. bent press. You can't learn a bent press in a week. You can't go to a seminar over a weekend and learn how to do it, and then you're an expert. It's, it's like, no. You, you, can, you can learn the fundamental skill, but you can't master it. Yeah. The mastery takes a long, long time. And eventually you get there, but, you know, it, it takes a while. I mean, look at high school. You go from, if you have a four-year program, freshman to senior, look at the skill level of a freshman compared to the skill level of a senior performing exactly the same skill. Mm-hmm. 
basic skill. But the, you know, the senior who's been practicing it for four years is really, really good. Yeah. And the freshman who has not, <laughs> even if the freshman is, you know, a natural, the, the skill's just not there. Yeah. Four years, right? Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, I'm not saying everybody has to practice a particular lift or exercise for four years, but you have to understand you're not going to develop a significant level of ability overnight. Mm-hmm. And you should not, and this kind of ties into, you mentioned my article, Sensible Experimentation yeah. versus Insanity Training. If you try to max out in a particular lift or exercise or do an insane number of reps or just grind yourself in into the dirt doing it the first time out that's crazy yeah because you don't have the skill you don't have the knowledge you don't have the coordination you don't have the proprioception and you haven't strengthened the tendons and ligaments and the connective tissue in a way that is appropriate for that particular exercise mm-hmm. you may have strength and power gained from other exercises and other ways of training that carry over and let you perform very well at a particular new exercise or new lift, but you haven't really trained for it. You're not really ready for a maximum. And when you try, you hurt yourself. Yeah. Um, You see things on social media. You see the, the personal trainer says, um, you know, Joe's been following my special program for three weeks and has added 150 pounds to his deadlift. Right. Because he started at zero and went to 150. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. The other part is, and you expect him to be doing what, 200, 250 next week? You know, it's like, why are we advancing so fast? Just slow it down. You know, let him, let him build up gradually. It's what his body needs. The other thing is it helps develop what I call the success habit. Mm-hmm. You go from 50 pounds to 55 to 60 to 65. Yeah. You know, you're always advancing. You go from 20 reps in the swing to 21 to 22, right. 23. You don't have to jump from 20 to 50 reps. Give yourself the pleasure of doing it slowly and having a small victory that you repeat over and over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And eventually you're, you're performing at a very high level in part because you've never missed a rep. You've never missed a workout. You've always gotten the, as many reps as you want. You've always added weight when the schedule calls for adding weight. So you're confident in your ability to do that. Yeah. As opposed to, pushing yourself to the max in something new right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you just crash and burn. You keep it up for a week or two and then you're like, bang, can't go anywhere. And then you yeah. start sliding. And those sessions of doing those submaximal loads consistently, like that, that just breeds so much strength and so much benefit from it as well. I mean, one of the best examples of this is, my good friend and coach Brett Jones and his iron cardio program and his book is coming out very soon. And he's been doing iron cardio single rep complexes for, I think about over two years now, just consistently. And, you know, coming out of, you know, uh, serious um, illness, battling cancer, got back to like a 24 K bell 
you know, so relatively of what he's done before was very light, but he was building it back up and he stayed with that weight for a long time, just building the skill back up. Now, all of a sudden you see him and he's doing double, you know, double 32s, he's doing his 36, he's doing his 40K, built up all the same movements, just peppered it in each time. It's like, okay, like now feeling a little bit stronger, pepper in a rep or two of the heavier ones. So a lot of times we think progressions like, oh, you need to jump right to, like the next big weight and make this huge. It's like, no, like another rep with just a little heavier weight with the same thing, just pepper that in. That's going to yield huge benefits, you know? And as we're recording this, like I had a huge like breakthrough yesterday with my snatch technique, been working on this for a long time, just getting that down. And finally, like, it felt like that exact perfect, you know, feeling that I was hoping for. So it's like, all right, these things take time. So kind of enjoying the process of it and just going in every day, just like the old time strongman, kind of punch the clock and just get your yep. training in, just get the day in. Don't worry about whether you PR that day and chasing the next one. So you can throw it on, you know, your Instagram story mm -hmm. and, and get some claps on it and stuff. It's like, no, just go in and just have fun with it. Yeah. And, and, you know, look at it as a long-term thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you don't achieve mastery. You don't achieve success in anything overnight. And you should, and you shouldn't expect to. And, and, and the other thing that ties into this, and, and you made me think of this when you were talking about your kettlebell breakthrough. Progress is never linear yeah. you know, at, at an ever upward ang angle like that. It, it doesn't work that way. It, it's stair step, up, plateau, up, plateau, mm -hmm. up, plateau, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. but there's more of a period where it's, it's, it's that horizontal progress. Yeah. And then bang, there's a jump and then it's horizontal progress yeah. and then bang, another jump. It, that's just the way it is. And it's, it's that way for beginners, for intermediates, for advanced, for champions, for everybody. I mean, everybody, I think it's true of all sports. I don't know whether that's, a physiological thing, a neurological thing, a mental thing. Yeah. Combination of them. But, you know, as you said, you had a breakthrough. It was probably after a period of, of that, you know, that just horizontal, just it's all staying the same. And then bang. Is yeah. That's a, it's, I mean, it was a, I mean, it's a technique thing of trying to carry it over from half snatching into regular snatching and been feeling great with it in the one drill just wasn't carrying over into the other one. I'm like, okay, like, but it's, I think like that, that plateau, it's almost, we, we use that word and there's such a negative connotation on that where my, my point was it, and I wrote about this was like, well, I had a bunch of shitty sessions before I hit that breakthrough, all those counted. Like it might not be the step that you're trying to make, but they all count, you know, from there. So you know, and sometimes like, you know, I've changed the environment up. I've gone out, you know, there's a little lake by my house that I go down by the lake and that's a great spot just to focus in, had some good times there. And then other ones. So you kind of, you never know when these things are gonna, are gonna come through. Like, so that's why like, I hate those, those programs of, oh, guaranteed in 12 weeks, you're going to get here. It's like, and I've said, I'm like, well, I don't know where the hell you're going to be in like in three days, let alone like 12 weeks. It's like, let's just build this process up and uh, and bring it. That's why I really always like talking about the old time strongman work, because it's that mentality. I think it is that 
combination of, you know, quick memory. Okay. You had a bad session or you had a bad game or you missed the game winning shot. Okay. Just let it go. You go on to the next one. You know, it's not like you don't have another game that's coming up afterwards. You know, it's not like you don't have another day to train afterwards if you miss that lift or if you felt like shit. And uh, I think if we adopt that mindset, it's then everybody's going to be a lot more, you know, you're going to see a lot more progress. You're going to enjoy it a lot more. You know, you said kind of at 65, you're, I have a client who just turned 80 this month who says the same thing. Like she can't relate to the people around her because she's still training three, four days a week. She's still, you know, doing her writing and her journaling, all this stuff. And she's like, this is what I love. Like, and it's the new skills. It's always trying these new things. And, and yeah, you know, that I think is, is the whole secret to longevity in any strength sport. You know, and, and any form of exercise, it's approaching it with, with that mindset and, um, you know, just just enjoying the ride, if you will. Yeah. It sounds like a cliche, but, you know, that just getting out and doing it is the most important thing and enjoying it, having fun with it is an incredibly important thing. Yeah. When, when I was a kid, um, you know, they talked about... Um, you know, all these incredibly hard, difficult, maximum effort, torture workouts. One of my wrestling coaches had us do a PTA workout, pain, torture, and agony. <laughs> now, mind you, he was a, a high school teacher. And the idea of the PTA, the Parent Teacher Association, That's made great. you know, I love that. Yeah, yeah, I love let's change the acronym. Yeah. Yeah. But there comes a point where the PTA mindset isn't really very productive. And you start morphing into really hard, difficult, challenging workouts, workouts where you're trying to progress. Maybe you're plateauing, maybe you're at that horizontal point, but you're trying to progress. You're working really hard, but you're having fun. You're enjoying it. And it's like the most fun thing that you do, the most enjoyable thing that you do, you're always looking forward to your workouts, even though they're really hard. Yeah. That point, you've kind of locked into the mindset for lifelong strength and health. Yes. That's beautiful. That's, it is. It's, you're enjoying the process. It's all going to come. You're going to keep doing the things that you enjoy doing from Mm -hmm. there. Uh, That's beautifully said. I think we'll cut it at that. That was perfect. Brooks, this is, I really enjoyed speaking with you on this. Uh, this time just flew by. I would love to have you back on to keep rolling with this. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time here. Um, if people want to uh, look up more of your stuff, follow your work, check out your books, what's the best place that we can direct them? We just set up a brand new website, www.dinosaurtraining.com. Uh my old website is still up. I don't know if I'll keep it up or, or just move to the new one, but go to the new one, uh, check it out. Uh, I, ha- I have daily emails that I send to my email list to sign up for the d- daily emails. And again, that's dinosaurtraining.com. One word, no hyphen. And uh, you know, check it out, have fun with it. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, Brooks, thank you so much. This was great. Listeners, go follow Brooks, check out Dinosaur Training. I'll catch you guys on the next one. See ya. 
Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found some great value here. And if you like this episode, please drop a comment and leave us a five-star rating and review. It does more to build the show than you can imagine. And do not forget to check out and join the Strength Connection Facebook group. In this group, I share the biggest takeaways and lessons from these amazing conversations, as well as training and strength tips for pursuing mastery and fulfillment in life. This group is filled with individuals looking to take full control over their strength, and it's the perfect space to explore new ideas and to share your journey. And you'll also get exclusive access to the Strength Connection Mastery Seminars. It's a deep dive into the physical, mental, and spiritual training that you can begin using immediately. So do not wait. Go now. Seriously, go. I much love to you. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you on the next one.